to another good week. Yeah, and uh, interesting wins that we've had in, in historic allegations, which is the topic we're going to get into tonight. And we've recently talked about this, but we had a request for uh, yeah. comment on uh, so related. For, yeah, so for our last podcast that just aired, um, we have uh, a viewer who's been with us, I think, from the beginning, Dan. So shout out to Dan. Thank you. We love you. He uh, gave a donation and gave us a specific question. He wanted to talk about, he wanted some commentary. And, and actually, another viewer sent a, a message in about historical sexual assault allegations, but particularly Dan was interested in the allegations against George Foreman, which has come up mm -hmm. in the United States. Right. And it's from the 70s. Which is funny because like, he's such an infamous boxer, but when I heard his name, I was just like, is that the guy with the George Foreman grill? Yeah, outstanding grill. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's really It's, it's a good really grill. Bad. Um, but uh, so I, I looked it up and there's not a lot of information available yeah. yet, but there is some interesting information available about these allegations. So um, George Foreman has, has actually issued a statement in response, and he said that these allegations, which came up about a month ago, um, became known publicly about a month ago. He said that he's been um, uh, being extorted for about six months where these two complainants have been trying to get millions of dollars from him and his family. He said both him and his family. And that he uh, doesn't like to pick fights, but he'll defend himself against a fight. He's not going to run away from a fight. Right, so, he's not going to run away. And, and what's interesting, these are uh, two plaintiffs who have brought separate civil actions Right. In the United States. It's I not think a it's, criminal allegation. It's, it's not. civil action. It's in, uh, I think it's in the state of California. Absolutely. And For a precise reason. Right, which you'll, you'll enlighten yeah. us. But so there are two civil actions for multi-million dollars. The complainants are in their 60s. They indicated that they both knew him through their fathers who were, I guess, related through boxing to Mr. Foreman. And um, the allegations stem from the 70s. So we're talking, you know, close to, you know, 50 years ago and explain why California, and this is different than Canada, but why California and, and how were they able to bring it forward at this stage? So first of all, in Canada, there is no statute of limitations. Civil or criminal? Um, for criminal, but there is for, for civil. There, there, are, there are limitation periods for civil, but there is expansive... Uh, they're, they're, they're virtually for sex assault. There's there's no real limitation period Pretty in much. Canada. It's, yeah. You know, so you California, and I, and no I saw what. some different reports as to you know when this legislation was enacted, um, but I did come across a Los Angeles Times report saying that California grants more time for filing child sexual abuse allegations under new law. Yeah. So essentially, what I'm seeing it seems consistent is that there was a window opened where they said, we've come to realize that we have robbed people of justice by not allowing them to bring uh, allegations forward because they're historic. So we're gonna open up a window for anybody who's been historically abused as a child, and we're gonna allow you to bring civil suits forward. Yeah, so this stemmed from a number of issues. You know, you know this was with respect to the, uh, the church, Catholic church, there was that case regarding, I think it was Dr. Nasser, Nasser with respect to yeah. gymnastics. It was, a, it was a big influence yeah. on it. And so there are legitimate historical allegations of, of sexual abuse that don't come out for sometimes decades. And you can argue between a limitation period appropriately bringing uh, or being 
in a criminal justice process, but maybe not in a civil, because liberty's not at stake. Mm-hmm. So they've expanded it now so that these claims can come forward. Yeah, and there was opposition to this being passed by the California Civil Liberties Advocacy in this particular article. They say that the civil defendants, uh, because the availability and reliability of evidence diminishes over time, they didn't think that it was um, right to expand the length of time endlessly. Because as decades go on, the quality of evidence diminishes, your ability to defend yourself diminishes. These are all legitimate arguments. Yeah, I mean, th- this is something we deal with. So we, we've, we've successfully defended a, a historical sexual assault recently. We have several coming up. And there is, I think there can be agreement on the fact that after the passage of time, particularly more than one decade, there will be a degradation of evidence in the sense of a person's accuracy to remember, recall events, put timing in place, and and and, and also the fragility of memory. Well, that's something we talked about before. It's like, yeah. do the courts, you know, understand and accept the fact that memory in and of itself can be quite fragile and at times unreliable. So we talked about recovered memory. So in these types of historical sexual assault allegations, we can agree, I think, as reasonable people that over time memory doesn't get better and people can either come to believe that something happened uh, or they can be confused about it honestly believe or they can be confused misidentify somebody which we'll talk about later on or or conflate conflate one person versus another even though and, and then you know conflate allegations and facts that's a real problem with historical allegations and both in the civil context and the criminal context the courts try and bend over too much to, in, to some extent to try and make allowances for those frailties, which does have an impact on the due process rights, whether it's in a civil context or a criminal. One of the interesting things, which you know, I know we've pointed out before in, in other episodes, but it applies here as well, is that there's a perception that famous people get away with things because they're yeah. famous. But there's the alternate side of it, which is famous people become targets. You know, and I've mentioned before Keanu Reeves being accused of being a shapeshifter and, and fathering children, um, which he, you know, delightfully um, actually bothered to re- reply to and defend himself against. Um, which is it was so ridiculous. But, um, but in this case, like George Farman, part of his official statement is over the past six months, two women have been trying to extort millions of dollars each from me and my family. And, you know, I don't pick fights. I don't run away from them either. And so this is one of those cases where he's saying, I'm a famous person who's being targeted by people who know I have money and they're trying to extort me. Yeah, I mean, there there may in fact be a connection. So we're not making determination on the know. merits here. We don't yeah. know. We're reading media reports, which who knows how reliable it is. And, and this will have to go to trial and it will be no doubt reported on. But, you know, there's no doubt that certain celebrities or celebrities in general can be a target. We've spoken about before how celebrities and the, you know, the the concept of a power imbalance. Can a celebrity ever have a relationship with a person who is a non-celebrity? Because right. there's this issue about power, a power imbalance. imbalance, right? So they they are in difficult positions. Now, in this case with George Foreman, they're they're saying that they were under the age of sixteen. Yeah, so they were not and present. That they were they couldn't consent. They met him through their fathers and were groomed. working with him, yeah. and that he groomed them and. 
that uh, in one case they say that uh, he said, if you ever tell anybody your father's going to lose his job or something like that. Right. And that's the allegation. And it could be completely false. It could be true. Yeah. Who knows? But but the difficulty, again, is, as you were saying with celebrities, they can be targets. These are not new allegations, you know, in the sense of, I'm not saying a George Foreman, but we've it's heard this before. <laughs> we've heard it before. You know, everybody's and heard this before. And these are 1970. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so you have to, you know... You know, it's hard for us to comment on it and say there are, obviously, there has to be a way for somebody to seek justice who's been abused. And I I had the experience in the Cornwall Public Inquiry a long time ago where historical allegations that were ignored for people who suffered and weren't heard had to come forward and there were finally some some remedy in, in, this, in the context of an inquiry and through civil process. But we got to balance against that, you know, how we deal with the evidence. And I think... Um, courts have to be very careful about that both in the United States and Canada and we'll have to see how this unfolds. Well and in his case too he's also retired so you know there's no immediate impact on his career. Right he's not cancelled at the moment. Right yeah um, I, I noticed I actually looked at his Twitter account and there's no tweets for... Is the grill still available at Canadian Tire? <laughs> yeah is it? Yeah okay. I'm pretty sure you can still get it yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah there's like no tweets for the month that the allegations were made public uh, yeah. or the next month but he's he's back on Twitter and he's uh, you know he, he's he's trying to carry on his life as as we tell people it's like all you can do especially civil suits as we're going to get into take a lot longer than criminal cases oh it can drag you out have to for carry on your life yeah. as best as you can yeah. while you're waiting to get some sort of outcome uh, or justice so you so know, the next yeah Canadian case that's very similar yeah so this is this is something we've spoken about before and how quick it is for a public figure to lose their career when an allegation comes out. So just recently, Major General uh, Danny Fortin was acquitted of sexual assault by a Quebec judge, uh, Richard Meredith. And this is a very interesting case because uh, all of us will remember uh, Major General Danny Fortin, who was the head of the federal um, COVID response across Canada. And all of a sudden he was removed from his position, was relieved of his uh, military duties because there was some investigation going on about a historic allegation of some sexual misconduct. And in fact, he, he had no idea of what the allegation was at the time. And if I'm correct about what uh, he had said publicly, was the first time he really had become aware of what the specific allegations were, was when he was charged. And he, he went to trial and was acquitted. And I want you to talk a little bit about this, uh, Dee, because it, this was a very interesting case where he was acquitted because the suspect, I mean, sorry, the complainant, <laughs> that's a Freudian twist, I think. Um, the complainant uh, was believed by the court with respect to the allegation of sexual assault, but was disbelieved that Major General was, Fortin was the person who did it. Yeah, it In other words, it was a question of identity. Not, not so much disbelieved. So this is interesting because a lot of times people think if somebody gets acquitted, it's some sort of a he said, she said case where... Um, the complainant is either lying or not lying. And this is a great example of a case where the judge found that the complainant was assaulted, believed she was assaulted. It was purely just a question of who did it. Right, so it was a question of identity. Right. And um, so that's it's, it's kind of an easier thing to look at because you're not calling somebody a liar um, in terms of supporting the acquittal. The thing was that, you know, it was a, a bizarre situation. She wakes up in the middle of the night and the actual allegation is that um, as she wakes up, 
she realizes that there's a, a male next to her who's masturbating himself with her hand and then touching her breast. But it was really dark in the room. She's obviously startled from her sleep and, um, and, and in a state of shock. And so there were some inconsistencies that caused the judge to doubt her ability to identify who it was who did it. Yeah, I, I think this is just interesting from a case study standpoint for for what we talk about, about frailties of historical allegations. So the complainant had said that she was 100% sure or 100% without a doubt that it was Fortin who sexually assaulted her at the Royal Military College. Um, and when one looked at the testimony of the complainant, there were significant contradictions. For example, the complainant had told military police uh, during the investigation that Fortin spoke during the alleged incident and she recognized his voice. While testifying at trial, however, the complainant said he never spoke. So that's a key factor because she's saying this is how she's identifying the person, right? And uh, interestingly, in, you know, in terms of quality defense too, she said that there was light coming in through the window that allowed her to see the, the face of the person. And then his defense team actually got like a whole map of the campus yeah, that's where the lights one. were to show that the lights weren't close enough to the window, like as she described, to provide the amount of light that she was talking about. Right. So the complainant also said she recognized Fortan during the assault because they were together daily. The court concluded they were not together they were daily. They were not together daily. Yeah. And then you raise an excellent point where there was... Um, so you have to understand at the time that the um, population of students during that time frame was 90% men, 10% female. The with military haircuts. With military <laughs> haircuts. So the description she gave of the suspect could match any number of military yeah. students at that time. So there was no specific identifiable features. And what you say was is a great point too. The complaint testified that light from the parking lot was shining into her room during the assault. Fortin had maps of the parking lot and campus that showed the lights were not as close as the complainant remembered and suggested the lighting could have been fainter and not ideal or even close to ideal to recognize anybody. Mm -hmm. And so there were very clear challenges with her evidence of reliability. Yeah. And in some respects, why I say not believed, was because of credibility. I heard his voice. That's absolutely Fortin. He never spoke. And that's the problem with historic allegations that the quality and the reliability evidence evolves or changes or is not reliable. And then Crown attorneys will argue, well, the core of the evidence is reliable. I don't know what right, that, I, I, know. Don't, I don't know really that what, phrase the, actually what that really crazy. means. Um, you know, other than saying, yeah, I was sexually assaulted and somebody used their hand uh, to touch my breast while I was being sexually assaulted. But this shows to you how in a, in a pretty straightforward case where a complainant made pretty straightforward contradictions that they were not correctly identifying the person who may have sexually assaulted them. Mm -hmm. And this just shows how memory over time does not get better. Right. <laughs> Absolutely can't. Uh, but that's an important point. 
memory over time but in the meantime, does not get better. But in the meantime, he was immediately removed from his position in the military. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And he's now looking into what he can do because, um, you know, he's, he's not suggesting he can get his precise position back, but he wants an equivalent position. And, uh, you know, this is going to be, we, we don't know, this is so recent. We don't actually even have the, the full reported decision of the judge. And, no, but we have we're enough. We're just going off we media have reports. We have enough to talk about things that we've said before about how you cancel somebody when an allegation comes out. And when, when you cancel somebody and you don't even really know what the evidence is. Mm -hmm. And then he's relieved of his duties, never mind the position he had at the time during the COVID pandemic. Um, and of course, doctors will say it's still ongoing now, and I'm not disputing that. But I'm just saying at the time he was overseeing it, he, he has no military duties. He does not want to retire. He wants to continue, and he wants to continue participating at a level he did before. What's going to happen? And here's the scary part. Because there can be, the government will and the military will not comment because we know there's a history, you know, there, there's a crisis in the military here in Canada where there's like a history of, of top officials dropping like flies with respect to allegations of misconduct some of which are absolutely correct and accurate. I, and I find it so interesting that these things tend to go in waves. So there'll be yeah. like, you know, obviously waves of allegations against Catholic priests and so on. But then it's like industries will have waves where suddenly it's just like everybody's going after. Uh, I covered a, a series of allegations in the, the nightlife music scene. Um, then it might be like, you know, producers, actors, writers, um, you know, there's, but it just seems to be like there's, there's like a, well, is they've even had things called shit lists, right? You know, shitty men in the media. Look, it may be that that it, resulted in a number of people. That was a, an actual thing. Was shitty men in the media? Look, one can argue that if you're dealing with the military, there was lack of transparency. These things were hushed up. Um, you know, complaints were disbelieved and pushed to the side at the threat of their careers going by. And so, each segment of society where there has been abuses finally comes to light, and it gets dealt with. And so, you've seen that with you know, the Catholic Church, you've seen that with, uh, with the military now and, 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 and in, in um, uh, you know, production and film. So that happens. Well, but some of them are real too, but it's just the, the problem is that when there's like a wave like that, I, I have a real fear that innocent people get caught up in the midst of the real allegations. Right, and this is a great example because the, you know, the response from, from the military and the government is we acknowledge the outcome of the criminal court proceeding. We will consider the implication of the judge's finding as it applies to our responsibilities and accountabilities going forward. I'm not sure what that means. Even though the military has been dealing with tons of allegations of sexual misconduct, in this case, you can't just lump in a person who is found not guilty on basis of identity, which is unusual in a sexual assault case. What do you do? And I'm really curious to watch this as it goes on because it, it can really spell, um, I think, um, a, a very bad policy if he is not going to be returned to a position of some duty and authority that he had before when a court has spoken very clearly about his innocence. You're presumed innocent. He's acquitted. There's no evidence that he actually committed anything. So do you continue saying you're not allowed to have a life? What does that mean, though? If, 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 if this happens, and we're just speculating, so we're not saying they'll do it, so here's our disclaimer. But, you know, hypothetically speaking, if denied that ability... So he's essentially, you know, either constructively dismissed or whatever you call it for, for, for that. Um, 
that means the stain of an allegation will never go away. Prophylactically even... dismissed, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But, you know, but it will never go away even if you're found innocent. And then are you able to sue for defamation? Interesting Ooh. topic. What if, you know, you're, you're, you're falsely accused. Can you sue then? So this is a case that I've followed for many, many years um, that, I, that this leads us to. And um, it a good it's segue, still ongoing. Eh? And it's important to talk it's about. <laughs> it's important to talk about because, um, because everyone who's been, says they're falsely accused, wants to show that they're falsely accused, they ask, can I sue for defamation? Yeah. So this is a case in Canada that's very high profile. It's, um, you know, Canlet author, uh, infamous author, author Stephen Galloway, who was, um, he says, falsely accused of sexual assault. He was um, fired from his at job at University of British Columbia. And, um, and then he was subsequently um, defamed, he says, uh, you know, over and over again. So he's brought lawsuits now. And um, he was actually cleared in the investigation at the University of British Columbia. It was it was um, actually conducted the investigation by a former judge? So it, it you know had legitimacy. Was, yeah, it has legitimacy, and uh, so now he wants justice. Um, you know, it, it's a very sad case. He was he, he became suicidal. He lost everything, and um, so he filed this in March of 2019. We are now at the end of 2022. Yeah. And so this is like essentially three years so far. And how far has his defamation suit gone? He filed it. They brought anti-slap suits against him saying this is uh, public participation. Public interest interest. should be dismissed. And uh, he shouldn't be allowed to sue us. And there's a very intriguing argument that they made that I'll get into. It was denied. But yeah. So then they lost their anti-slap suit. So he's permitted to go forward. Well, they won on some. Now, you know, they won on some. Yeah. He's appealing those ones. <coughs> and they're appealing the, you know, his right to go forward with the other ones. But um, so, so now the anti-slap suit has been dealt with, but there's an appeal on it. He still hasn't even got to trial yet. Yeah, but I think what's years. more interesting is, okay. so let's delineate so people understand. So somebody's accused of a criminal offense. Uh, of sexual assault and they are acquitted, there may be an ability to sue for malicious prosecution or sue the complainant if 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 the if it's apparent through the judgment that this was really a false allegation. It's a fairly high you're threshold. You're putting yourself back on trial again. You're putting yourself back on trial. It ha- on it's a, a very high probabilities. It, well, it's even more. It, it's it's you know, for you to be successful in that type of lawsuit, you you really got to establish a little bit more than a balanced probability that it was false. Mm-hmm. And so it's a fairly high threshold. And if you win, you get very little You money. may not get much in the fr- but you know, you do it simply for the vindication through a lawsuit. And so this is where somebody wasn't criminally charged, but they were cleared by the internal investigation at the university and they want to bring this defamation lawsuit and you're faced with this anti-slap legislation which talks about if expression or speech is in the public interest, then this litigation should be shut down immediately. And if you just think about that for a moment, there is uh, legitimate aspects to that type of legislation. But in a particular case like this, one of the arguments is really dangerous. Right. So 
I'll, I'll, I'll go to that section. It's actually a massive decision in the it's end. huge. Through over 300 um, pages. So I only it. just printed out the section that was relevant to this particular argument that, I, that I'm concerned with. The uh, complainant, um, there's like eight different parties involved because he's suing not just the original complainant, but people who reiterated it, who continued to call him a rapist, even though he was cleared and all this other stuff. So there's a number of other people involved for different reasons. Right. But just focusing on the complainant who's, who's being called AB, just as the first two letters of the alphabet, um, her lawyer made the argument that um, somebody's who your speech should be protected by absolute privilege if the, the allegation, the thing that you're saying is something to do with a sexual assault. Pause. Yeah. Say it again. So even if it's false, the argument was that it is the interest, it's in the best interest of the public to give absolute privilege to any speech alleging a sexual assault. And I don't even think they use the term false. <laughs> so I, I think I think the premise is that no allegation or expression of being sexually assaulted or abused is false. I think the premise is it's always truthful. And therefore any type oh. of defamation lawsuit will 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 hamper complainants coming forward with allegations because they could face a civil lawsuit well they, they they actually do get into you know whether or not it's truthful is not relevant to yeah to i tried what, to, to read that saying. and understand yeah. what they were saying but I, I i got to the point where i was looking at going i think when you when you go underneath it it seemed to me it's like it's it's it's, it's an expression of what is in essence, something we should accept. I, I, that's just the, the basic way I was argument it, is that the majority of allegations are truthful. Therefore, yes. we shouldn't care if there are untruthful ones. Just right. We shouldn't care if innocent people go to jail because decision, it's important in the greater good. Yeah. Thankfully, in this decision, um, and, and you can go on on Canley's C A N L I I dot C A no dot org. Oh. Um, you you can go on the Canley website and look up Galloway v A B and find the whole history of this this case. Um, but also, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to an amazing uh, member of the Camelot community, Brad Cran. He is a former poet laureate from BC who has been helping Stephen Galloway collect information and prepare himself for the lawsuit. And he's got an amazing substack called truthandconsequences.substack.com where he's been reporting on all of the stuff that's going on. In, in the case. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a great way to get a summary because this decision yeah. is like 270 pages or something like that I, I to, to read the pages. entire thing. Yeah. But ultimately in the end, the judge, um, and, and it is under appeal, but the judge um, said that she did not accept this argument that just the, um, the nature of the statement being I was sexually Just because abused. the expression, because they were dealing with art too. There was some art piece that was done, which was was an expression right. of a sexual assault by Galloway, and so it was it was cathartic and it was part of her therapy to have this piece of art that ever that was picking Galloway as the abuser. Um, they they regarded as as expression, not just simply your freedom of speech, but your expression of abuse. So if so, it was rejected. Thank God, yeah. because if we simply categorize anything that's expressed about sexual abuse should automatically be able to be said we are in a very dangerous place in society a very 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 dangerous place in society right and you know i, I always take the position if you're telling the truth 
then you shouldn't be too concerned about it. <laughs> no, if you're if you're telling the truth, you come forward and you tell the truth. But but you know, people for whatever reason make false allegations. We've spoken about this on a number of occasions, and it should not be that like we said, there shouldn't be a complete change in evidence in criminal cases simply because of the gender of an accused, the gender of a suspect, and the nature of the offense. Right. Similarly, in civil litigation, there shouldn't be freedom to say whatever you want. And, and, and we spoke about this before. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in favor of absolute freedom of speech. I think there has to be some limits because it can be extremely harmful. Um, I and, disagree and with you, but that's... I, I know, but think about this for a moment. <laughs> You know, if, if if it is absolute, their argument would succeed. You can never, you can, even if it's a falsity, you should have a right to say it. Um, so, well, no, but there's consequences. That's the thing is like, just saying that you have the right to say something doesn't mean that you're free of consequences. Well, so, you know, if you say something. So often you cannot get caught. But you can also be sued for what you say. Yeah, good luck in so many cases whether there will ever be a real consequence because you're not always going to sue somebody who has any money to satisfy a judgment, even if you're successful. But this, this, is, this is the insidious nature of then taking a particular type of topic and giving an immunity. Right. So there's something about the Galloway case that gives me a little bit of glee. Please explain. There is an organization in Canada. There's actually two parts to it. There's, it's uh, in full length, the Women's Legal Education and Action Fund, uh, which is in short form LEAF. And then there's a West Coast leaf, which is based in, in BC. The Galloway case is taking place in, uh, in BC. And leaf is the most successful intervener in court cases. They go in to uh, expand the um, Section 15 uh, rights, so equality rights of women. And uh, they're very strategic. They're almost never denied standing. And they're the most successful intervener and they tried to get standing in the anti-slap uh, suit against Galloway, and they were denied. In part, I mean, AB's lawyer actually did a lot of, you know, has done work with Leaf. Yeah, so themselves. just to explain. So there was crossover in the Yeah, so just to explain. There, there are interveners in a lot of legislation or, um, uh, or uh, attacks to legislation or in cases that are on appeal. So they could be civil and criminal, but mostly criminal. And when, they, when an intervener has a particular area of expertise, they may get intervener status because they can bring a perspective that will help the court make its decision. And LEAF has that expertise in some areas. But there's been issues with respect to what their research and the foundation of that is. And in this case, which is a civil case, they sought to, to get intervener status where the court found that there's zero, they're not going to be able to add anything to so it. So the, originally they wanted to support this argument that right. it should be protected speech for the best interests of all women who are sexually assaulted. That, who um, need to come forward They should with not have to fear being sued yeah. for, for saying such things. And so they were denied intervener status in, in the anti-slap suit. And then now there's the appeal of the decision on the anti-slap suit. They again applied for intervener status. And again, they were denied. <laughs> because they don't, they don't, they, on this particular civil case, they don't have an area of expertise that will enlighten the court at all. It's just not where they should be intervening. It's different than if they're intervening in, a, in an issue of a consent, let's say, in a, a sexual assault case that's going up to the Supreme Court of Canada. This is a very different issue. And the complainant is represented by counsel who is marshalling the very same arguments. You don't need to hear it two, three, or four times. There's like You eight, just don't. There's, a, I think, at least eight co-accused or whatever and multiple members of, of those like multiple lawyers with who are already 
have standing in the case yeah. are making the exact same arguments. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I suppose I should explain why I had a little bit of glee other than being denied. No. <laughs> no. No, it's okay. Thanks. It's okay. Another episode. No, it's just that that I, I think it's very important to to make sure that lawsuits remain clean from activism. Look, we say the say about criminal cases, and we need to be careful about giving too much weight over to an interest group or, or, or giving way to activism. I think any group, including LEAF, that would have a particular of expertise, there's nothing wrong with the court hearing from it, but it has to be on a sound foundation of actual expertise and evidence borne out through social science or something else. But we also have to keep into context what due, due process is and fairness, and we can't f around with our rights simply yeah. because of of certain belief systems and that what i think is very insidious well and what we'll i think talk about it more. <clears throat> for a cheers is that we need to actually still maintain accountability for what you do and say i let's end on that because i absolutely agree uh like subscribe share like share and subscribe like share and su i'm never good at that thank you everybody for viewing good night <laughs>